Okay, we're up to chapter 12 now in the Hand of Oberon. It's the second to last chapter in the book, racing toward its conclusion. And this chapter is set at Corwin's tomb on the rocks of Colvier. He's gathered there with Random and Random's son, Martin. So the three of them are there, and this is basically the introduction of Martin to Corwin. Random has been successful in tracking him down. He's brought him back to Amber. Hasn't brought him to the palace yet. He wanted him to meet Corwin first, so they agree to meet at Corwin's tomb for whatever reason. And it's like, hey, here's Martin. Here's your Uncle Corwin. And most of the chapter is Martin telling his story, right? And some of this we already know, and it's sort of confirmed here. Things like the fact that Martin grew up in Rebma, that he got to know Benedict, that he walked the pattern in Rebma. One day when he sort of came of age, that he went to stay with Benedict for a time, learned a bunch of stuff from Benedict, kind of learned how to be an Amberite, how to fight, all of that. And so all of that we kind of knew. They talk a little bit about Brand because obviously Martin kind of has it in for Brand. Random definitely has it in for Brand. He asks if if it's kind of like open season on Brand now. And Corwin's like, uh, yeah, it pretty much is. I hate to say it. Guy's gone crazy. He's trying to destroy the universe. Um, yeah, like have at him if you get there first kind of thing. But Corwin is kind of sentimental about it. And he doesn't want to see Martin just getting involved right away in kind of the cycle of violence and hate and all of that. He says to Martin, quote, You have good reason to hate him, but do not let that hatred be your baptism into our company. There has been too much of it among us. I look at your face. I don't know. I'm sorry, Martin. Too much is going on right now. You are young. I have seen more things. Some of them bother me differently. That's all. End quote. And this is kind of the softening Corwin, right? The changing Corwin. But it's funny, he says, you're young. Like, Mar Martin's like 100 years old. I mean, we know that Brand was looking for Martin in Rebma, asking about him 60 years ago, Amber time. We know that Martin would have already been born, grown up, walked the pattern, left to go see Benedict and walk through Shadow, and then Brand comes looking for him. So, yeah, he could be like 100 years old could be 80 years old, Amber Time. It's true that Martin very likely, after he leaves Benedict and starts wandering shadow, goes to some slow-moving shadows. And in fact, as Martin tells his story in this chapter, you do get the sense that after he left Benedict, he kind of, you know, just wandered around living his life. And then one day, Brand showed up to stab him. That's like 50 years gone by. But it might only have been 10 years. It might only have been five years. We don't know. Like, so Martin could still be kind of a young guy. You know, they go over the whole thing of like, after you got stabbed, uh, how come you didn't reach out? We would have helped you. He's like, I didn't know who to trust. Confirms the story about going to the Tacy's, the friends of Benedict to recover. He's kind of determined that he's going to kill Brand. And then he tells part of the story that we don't know up until now. And this part is that one day... Dara shows up and you know how does Dara find Martin just randomly in shadow and you know that's kind of an interesting question that's not really addressed too deeply you know does she know that Brand used Martin to damage the pattern stabbed him it was in fact the courts of chaos that told Brand how to damage the pattern Dara will later say that she didn't know who Brand intended to use as the target, who they intended to sacrifice to damage the pattern. 
So, but it's possible that she knows after the fact and that she gets this information. It's even possible that she gets this information through Jazra, who at this time would be with Brand. Remember, Jazra will turn out to be the kind of maid companion, they call her, to Dara. Someone that Dara recruited from a shadow near Chaos, recruited her, befriended her, and then basically assigned her to seduce Brand. I really want to do a whole Brand timeline, sort of alternate timeline following Brand, Dara, the Courts of Chaos, Jazra, all the way up to the Fount of Power, like all that stuff. And then Brand seeing Corwin and reading Eric's mind, ultimately getting imprisoned and then coming back uh, in Sign of the Unicorn to like pursue his evil plan, right? That's like a pretty cool timeline story that it would be good to write down because it's complicated. And again, getting back to Martin, it's possible that through all of that, Dara would know a bit about Martin and know how to kind of track him down in shadow. She's obviously got a plan. The way Martin tells it, Dara told him that, quote, in the fullness of its corruption and presumption, Amber had upset a kind of metaphysical balance between itself and the courts of chaos. Her people now had the job of redressing the matter by laying waste to Amber, end quote. So that's Martin's recollection of what Dara told him. And that's kind of cool, right? Dorkin's going to talk a whole lot more about that in the Merlin Chronicles, all that stuff about the pattern and the logris and the shifting balance of power, the day of the broken branches, and then, you know, when Bran damaged the pattern and like back and forth, back and forth kind of thing, and that that's been playing out for millennia. You know, this line right here in the second to last chapter of the Hand of Oberon about the upset of the metaphysical balance between Amber and the Quartz, like in some ways, this is the jumping off point of the Merlin Chronicles. And I almost wonder if Zelazny didn't look back on that line right here and be like, yeah, I want to tell that story. Metaphysical balance of power between these two poles of order and chaos and like what's really going on behind the scenes. But at this point in the Corwin story, it's just kind of thrown out there. And it's a way for Dara and Martin to sort of create this almost third point on the triangle between Amber, Chaos, and this new sense of balance between the two, a more balanced version where they maybe share more of Shadow. I don't know what the plan really is. And Oberon seems to be in on it with them. We're going to learn more about that at the beginning of the Courts of Chaos in just a couple of chapters. But It all kind of starts here with Dara tracking down Martin, building some kind of friendship with him. And then she leaves, and we know, you know, kind of where she goes from there to Avalon, pretends to be Benedict's great-granddaughter, seduces Corwin, gets pregnant with Merlin, goes back, gives birth to Merlin in the Courts of Chaos, and then ultimately she's going to come back to Amber in a couple of chapters. Corwin is a little bit suspicious, by the way, of this whole story coming from Martin, not the background about him and his early years, but this bit with Dara. Of course, none of them trust Dara. She said Amber will be destroyed. Martin's painting her in kind of a friendly light, and that's obviously intentional. Corwin says, quote, As I filled random in on events since his departure, I thought about Martin. He was still an unknown quantity, so far as I was concerned. His story might be perfectly true. In fact, I felt that it was. On the other hand, I had a feeling that it was not complete, that he was intentionally leaving something out, maybe something harmless, then again, maybe not. 
He had no real reason to love us, quite to the contrary, and Random could be bringing home a Trojan horse, end quote. And he sort of is, right? The Corwin's on to something here. Random is bringing home a Trojan horse. What Martin is not saying, the part that he left out about his meeting with Dara, is that he has formed a kind of cabal with her, and he is in cahoots with her and with Oberon, as well as Merlin, right? And the four of them now have kind of their own plan. And in about a week's time, Martin is going to bring Dara through a trump into Amber. What could be more Trojan horse than that? The woman who has said Amber will be destroyed shows up in the throne room of Amber in two chapters because Martin brings her in. Anyway, that's the scene between Random, Martin, and Corwin. And then it's interrupted when Ganelon calls Corwin on his trump. He says, quote, Corwin, I decided it was time to check. By now, you have the jewel, Brand has the jewel, or you are both still looking. Which one is it? Corwin says, Brand has the jewel. Ganelon says, more's the pity. Tell me about it, end quote. And this is Oberon, obviously, and he's pretending that he doesn't know when he has to know that Brand has the jewel. So that's kind of funny in retrospect because he's about to go on and tell Corwin, like, I've got a plan. I've already got Benedict walking the pattern so that he can teleport up into Tirnanagath and intercept Brand, who's obviously headed to Tirnanagath to attune the jewel. How would Ganelon have set all of that up and convinced Benedict that he needs to do that if he didn't have confirmation that Brand, in fact, has the jewel. And so he opens this conversation with Corwin, like, did you get it? Did he have it? Do you have it? And it's it's almost like unbelievable that Corwin later in the conversation doesn't go like, okay, you've set this whole thing up with Benedict, but you asked me at the top of the conversation whether I actually had the jewel or Brand did. I guess he would have said, well, I was just covering my bases just in case. But remember, Benedict said, like, don't do anything without consulting with me first. And yet Benedict is willing to go along with Ganelon's whole scheme and walk the pattern and be ready to teleport. And Benedict doesn't call Corwin to say, hey, like, are you good with Ganelon's plan? We agreed to check with each other before doing anything. So that's kind of interesting. And I think, like, again, there's something about Benedict and Ganelon that I can't quite put my finger on. But Ganelon is able to convince Benedict a few chapters earlier that the story about Dara is really true. Ganelon beats the crap out of Gerard and Benedict tries to interpose in that fight when he wouldn't interpose himself to save Corwin. Now, Benedict is going along with Ganelon's plan to walk the pattern and teleport himself into Tirnanagath without checking with Corwin, even though he told Corwin flat out, I won't do anything without checking with you. You don't do anything without checking with me. It feels an awful lot like Benedict knows Ganelon is Oberon. And yet, at the end of this book, Benedict will say, oh, come on, dad must be dead. We haven't heard from him so long. It's not possible. And Corwin's like, no, humor me. I think he might still be alive. So I I can't put my finger on it. Like, is Benedict kind of shining on Corwin at the end of Hand of Oberon when he says, like, oh, dad must be dead. Is he taking the piss? Or is Ganelon just kind of like manipulating Benedict in some way that Benedict himself doesn't even see it? Anyway, I'll move on. Again, the main plan that's laid out here at the end of chapter 12 is that they know that Brand is headed to Tirnanagath to attune the jewel. He can't get to the main pattern beneath Amber. He can't get to the one in Rebma. He can't 
get to the one at the primal pattern, he's only got one pattern left, which is Tirna Nagath. And Corwin was going to wait until the moon rises, mount the stone steps, go all the way up into Tirna Nagath, find the pattern room, and chase down Brand and kill him. And Ganelon points out that would take too long. Brand's just going to teleport in, remember? Corwin's like, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Corwin's like, oh, I'll just hit him with a crossbow. Ganelon's like, well, but he might conjure up weather and blow the bolts left and right. That seems a little cockamamie, but okay. To me, it just takes a really long time to mount the stairs up to Tirnanagath. Remember, it's sort of like the reversal of the eastern stair. It just takes you to the gate of the city, and then you have to walk, like, what, a couple of miles to the palace. Then you'd have to get in, go down the stairs, finally get your way to the pattern room, and that would take a good hour. I don't know. By then, Bran would be through the pattern. So so it is true that even though Oberon's the puppet master here, Corwin's plan probably wouldn't work. As a result, he agrees to Ganelon's plan. Benedict has already walked the pattern and is waiting to teleport as soon as the moon is up. Corwin's going to head to the steps to Tirnanagath anyway to be right there in case anything goes down. He gets his horse back from Random, so he's got Star back. Martin and Random head back to the palace. Corwin takes Star, and he heads off toward the steps to Tirnanagath, and that's how Chapter 12 concludes. Okay, Chapter 13, the final chapter of The Hand of Oberon. We're barreling toward the conclusion. Benedict teleports up to the pattern room in Tirnanagath. Corwin is connected to Benedict through his trump, so he's able to hear and observe everything that's going on. And then Brand shows up, as they thought he would, teleporting into the pattern room in Tirnanagath. And Brand immediately sees Benedict. Benedict's guarding the entrance to the pattern. Brand appears on the other side, and he starts slowly walking around the pattern. And he's got the Jewel of Judgment. And there's a really cool scene between Benedict and Brand, where Brand is basically stalling, and he's 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 full mad at this point, right? He's full evil. He's like, Benedict, fancy seeing you here. And Benedict is just doing the stoic older brother thing, like, Brand, I don't want to hurt you. Just stop. Turn yourself in now. Like, we'll let bygones be bygones kind of thing if you just give up now. And Brand's like, ha, 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 no chance. He tries a few different tacks. He's like, join me, you know, does the kind of the Darth Vader thing, you know, together we can rule the universe, Benedict. Benedict doesn't want any part of that. Brand's promising him anything he wants, riches, power. Benedict's like, fine, I got everything I need. You know, Brand tries sort of insulting Benedict, calls him a fool, says he's like just a pawn to, to Amber and, you know, he's being used, the dutiful son of Amber kind of thing. Benedict's like shaking his head, not going to work. You know, he tries flattering Benedict. You're too good for this. Like, you're the greatest that ever was. You could command my armies, you know, after I recreate the universe in my image. It would be so much better than anything you ever had now. Benedict's still not buying it. And then Bran tries the old, like, okay, he drops his sword belt on the ground. He's like, you got me. Go ahead. Come on. Come cut me down. Come kill me. And he's like, you can't do it. You don't want my blood on your hands. He tells Benedict that, uh, you know, he calls Benedict a coward at one point and says that he fears the death curse of Brand, right? So it's another tactic he's trying. See if he can rile Benedict up a little bit. 
Benedict says, quote, Brand, I have no desire to kill a brother. Give me that trinket you wear about your neck and come back with me now to Amber. It's not too late to set matters right, end quote. And Brand laughs, you know, like a madman. And he says, quote, Oh, nobly spoken, nobly spoken, Benedict, like a true lord of the realm. You would shame me with your excessive virtue. And what is the sticking point of all of this? And he reaches down and he strokes the jewel and he says, This, this bauble, do you realize the full power of this thing? End quote. And it's a real Darth Vader-like moment, right, where he reaches through the jewel and he paralyzes Benedict. And suddenly Benedict can't move. And Bren moves forward quickly. Corwin's freaking out as he realizes what's happening. Benedict can't talk, can't move. It's like he tried to reach for his sword, but he just like didn't make it even like an inch. Bran says, quote, Benedict, Benedict, of what use is the finest swordsman alive if he cannot move to take up his blade? I told you you were a fool. Do you think I would walk willingly to my slaughter? You should have trusted the fear that you must have felt. You should have known that I would not enter this place helpless. I meant it when I said that I was going to win. You were a good choice, though, because you are the best. I really wish you had accepted my offer, but it is not important now. I cannot be stopped. None of the others had a chance, and with you gone, things are going to be much easier." End quote. And he pulls out a dagger, and he's just going to like assassinate Benedict right there on the spot. Corwin's panicking. He's, he's saying, you know, Benedict, bring me through. But, you know, Benedict can't respond. Corwin gets out Brand's Trump. He tries reaching through Brand's Trump to like do a mental battle with him to stop him. But that's not working. Brand's easily able to just block Trump. And, you know, I would love to see this scene acted out, right? Just so much drama. You know, Benedict's going to bite it. That would be terrible for the viewer. We'd be really, really upset because Benedict is so strong and likable and it seems like he's going to be there forever and we don't want Benedict to die. We might actually believe it as viewers, right, in this kind of Game of Thrones age where main characters get killed off all the time and Benedict does have that, like, quote, mark of doom on him. You know, so so you might believe that Bran's going to kill him. Bran's got super magic powers right now and just at sort of the flick of a hand would be able to kind of block Corwin's trump call. He's partially attuned to the jewel, I guess, at this point, and so he's able to sort of use it to control Benedict's nervous system. That would be really fun to see acted out. There's a lot of urgency and drama now in the scene because the clouds are starting to form and the clouds are moving in front of the moon and past it, and the moon is getting dimmer and brighter. And as a result, all of Tirnanagath around them is kind of shimmering, coming in and out of existence. And if that moon gets blocked by clouds for too long, Tirnanagath will disappear and Brand and Benedict and all of it will fall down into the sea. So double danger, right? More tension, more urgency. Brand doesn't seem to notice the thing with the moon because he's so obsessed. He's about to kill Benedict. He's so focused. He's kind of losing it. Brand says, quote, Yes, Benedict, you probably would have preferred to die in battle. On the other hand, you might look upon this as a kind of honor, a signal honor. In a way, your death will be the birth of a new order, end quote. And that's very Thanos-like, right? I see Brand as kind of a Thanos figure from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, seemingly all-powerful. He's got not the five Infinity Stones, but he's got the one stone that matters, and he's able to like do super magic tricks with it. And he's intent on destroying the universe. And Benedict, who's maybe like Iron Man in that analogy, is about to go down. And Bran says, quote, enough of this. There are things to be done. The night grows no younger. 
He lowers his dagger and says, good night, sweet prince, end quote. And that's another reference to Hamlet. That's what Horatio says to Hamlet as he's dying in Act 5. And then suddenly, Benedict's mechanical arm, that silver arm that they'd sewed onto his stump, the arm that Corwin had retrieved from Tirnanagath in an earlier scene off of the ghost of Benedict, it now comes to life, right? And it shoots up, it grabs the chain that the Jewel of Judgment is hanging from, the chain around Brand's neck, he grabs it and it shoots it up into the air and lifts Brand off the ground, holding him with like a noose around his neck, his feet dangling, his face is getting all red, his hands immediately go up to his neck as he's trying to like loosen the chain of the jewel, can't breathe, can't do anything about it. Zelazny describes it like this. He says, quote, his face was dark and his neck a mass of straining cables. He bit his lip. The blood ran into his beard as he drew upon the chain. With a sharp snap following by a rattling, the chain parted and Bran fell to the floor, gasping. He rolled over once, clutching at his throat with both hands. End quote. And Benedict's like coming back to life now because the spell is broken. Bran's not paralyzing him anymore. So Benedict's like, whoa, what's going on? He's got the jewel in his hand, the mechanical hand. The moon is now finally blocked by the clouds and Tirnanagath has become like transparent. The whole thing is falling apart. Corwin reaches for Benedict, kind of pulls him through. Benedict reaches for Brand, tries to grab him, but it's too late. He's sinking through the floor. They're all sinking. They're falling. Brand's gone. And Corwin helps Benedict get to his feet, and the two of them sit there on the stone steps and don't say anything for a long time. Corwin says to himself, quote, I thought back over everything that had happened so fast, so sudden that day. A great weight of weariness lay upon me now, and I felt that my energies must be at their end, that shortly I must sleep. I could scarcely think straight. Life had simply been too crowded recently. I leaned back against the stone once more regarding cloud and star, the pieces, the pieces which it seemed should fit if only the proper jiggle, twist, or flip were applied. They were jiggling, twisting, and flipping now, almost of their own accord, end quote. And that's Corwin figuring it out, right? He's thinking through it. The mechanical arm. It was Ganelon's idea to have Benedict up there in Tirnanagath. He knew that Bran was going to appear, and he wanted Benedict there instead of me. He's putting the pieces together. Benedict's like, do you think Bran is dead? And Corwin's like, I think so, probably. He was in bad shape kind of thing. But then, you know, Benedict says, quote, it was a long way down. He might have had time to work some escape along the lines of his arrival, end quote. And it's like, yeah, obviously Bran teleported out on his way down, right? I mean, if Blaze fell off the stair and was able to teleport out because maybe Fiona pulled him through or whatever, Bran certainly isn't going to let some fall from, you know, Tirnanagath down to the sea, right? He's not going to let that stop him from trumping out. I don't know why Corwin's a bit too thick to see that. But Corwin ultimately says, quote, it doesn't really matter. You've drawn his fangs, end quote. And it's true. They've got the jewel, right? Brand one, Corwin two on the scoreboard. Benedict says, quote, the pattern is safe now, end quote. And they're thinking through it. And Corwin is still thinking about Brand. You know, they're, they're kind of like feeling a little sad in this moment that their brother went mad. And, you know, that's kind of a nice touch. Both of them are feeling a bit like, oh, there's something we should have done or said along the way to, to keep Brand from going to the dark side. 
you know, but ultimately he was always kind of a bastard and that's their conclusion. Benedict's like, let's get back to Amber. You know, we got stuff to do. But Corwin's like, hang on, quote, I've been thinking, isn't this a lot of weight to dump on poor coincidence? The one weapon that gave you a chance up there against the jewel and it just happened to be part of you and you just happened to be the person who was up there to use it? Trace things back and trace them forward again. Isn't there an extraordinary, no preposterous chain of coincidences, end quote? And that's when Corwin says, I think there's a person that's behind this, behind this whole sequence of events that led to us getting the jewel back. And he pulls out the trump for Oberon. And Benedict says, quote, Dad, that's ridiculous. He must be dead. It's been so long, end quote. And that's a little bit interesting on the face of it, too, because not that long ago, Benedict was saying, I absolutely believe that Oberon is still alive, right? I mean, he's saying that, what, a month or two ago, Amber time, right? He says that in the tent in Avalon. You know, anyone who takes the throne as a usurper, Oberon's still alive, right? And then, what, a couple of months go by as Corwin builds the army, gets the guns from Shadow Earth, the pink powder, attacks, Eric dies, and then only about a week before the beginning of Sign of the Unicorn, and then that is only about a week to 10 days Amber time to get you to where you are now. A few months have gone by Amber time since Benedict was sure that Oberon was still alive. And now he's saying, it's been so long, he must be dead. So that's a glitch. And I don't think Zelazny intended this. So this is pure speculation. But my reading of all of this, and, you know, repeating what I said earlier, is that Benedict probably knows that Ganelon is Oberon, probably has known for some time. Maybe Oberon even brought him under the tent at some point, And together, they're still keeping Corwin in the dark. Who knows? And that here in this moment when he's saying, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. It couldn't possibly be Oberon. He's been dead so long that that's just Benedict kind of taking the piss and just taking the whole ruse one step further. And if you were going to act this out in a movie, you'd have to think that through. What does Benedict know? You'd have to wrestle with that contradiction of like just a few scenes earlier. I said, dad's still alive. And now I'm saying, oh, it's been forever. He must be dead. But nonetheless, they reach through the Trump to contact Oberon, and sure enough, it's Ganelon. He says, quote, Good evening. That was a fine piece of work. I am pleased that you brought back my trinket. I'll be needing it soon. End quote. And that's the final line of the book. It's the big reveal. The title of the book comes full circle. The Hand of Oberon. It's a metaphor, right? It's literally the silver mechanical arm, the silver hand that saves the day. It's also the hand of Oberon, as in the puppeteer, that's been pulling the strings on everything going back to the beginning of the Guns of Avalon. All of this has played out under the masterful puppet hand of Oberon, the King of Amber. And that's the end of the fourth book. Up next, the concluding novel of the Corwin Chronicles, book five, The Courts of Chaos.